Amen. Thank you, Dorothy. We're in Matthew chapter 9 this morning. And I think for a focal passage I'm going to read is verses 35 through 38. And we've been going through a, a series of three messages on a passion for the gospel. And this morning I want to talk about the essential element of evangelism. And uh, turn with me if uh, you're there, Matthew 9, and I ask you to stand in God's honor when you find that, starting at verse 35 to the end of the chapter. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let's pray. Lord, we're often troubled about evangelism. Father, we often see it as a, a burden or something that we have to do. And I pray this morning, Father, we might see differently. Lord, I, I ask that you might work among us, Father. Not just in the people who are seated, but in my heart. Uh, Father, we need you, and so do a lot of other people. And I just pray, Father, that you continue, as you have already in this service, to move. And Father, may we leave here, Father, um, heart for you that's clear. We love you, Lord, and we just ask for your presence to be obvious here, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. There are some misconceptions about evangelism, about sharing our faith, and some ideas of that make sharing our faith so uncomfortable. Uh, first misconception is the idea the more the better. I remember early in my Christian life when I came to Christ, I had this great burden, I had this idea that every person I came in contact with, every person I saw was a target to hit with the gospel message and that I had to share. And to be honest with you, it became such a burden, I was just exhausted until I finally came to a place where I realized although everybody needs Jesus I don't save anybody I am only a messenger and my job is to be faithful to the movement of God to share as he leads so that's the first one uh, another one is to discuss all religions where you have this talk and you get everybody together and everybody's just talking about all religions uh, as if they're equal and, and we're to respect everybody and, and this is what this group believes this is what that group believes but in the midst of that no one ever says Jesus is the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through Him there's not that truth that shared that Jesus died on a cross for you and, and you have to receive Jesus into your life. A third misconception is just this idea of, of guilt that, that it is so consuming. We come down on the, on the lost person who drinks, smokes, chews, or spits and, and you make it clear that, man, you are a heathen and, and we're going to guilt them into the kingdom because of their sin and because of their misbehavior. 
and, and uh, that, that's going to drive uh, them to come to Christ. And you can't always tell by a person's behavior exactly where they stand with the Lord. I can remember uh, years ago when uh, we were in Long Island and I worked part-time at UPS and I was loading this truck and there was a guy next to me. He was the nicest guy. And, and we would talk, and, and one day, I, I just assumed, guys, he was a Christian. And so I said something to him about Jesus, and he got mad at me. And I found out he wasn't a Christian really quick. And, 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 and so it's not just on the basis of how bad you are or how good you are necessarily that you know Christ. A, a fourth myth, misconception is the idea that, uh, you know, I, I'm a silent soldier for Jesus that I don't ever have to speak, that my actions alone will speak through me. As long as I'm a good neighbor, as long as I keep my yard mowed, as long as I paint my house and the paint doesn't chip off of it, as long as I pet my dog and smile and wave when people come by, as long as I don't yell at my wife and kids, as long as I'm just a good guy in the community, a good family member, that that'll be enough, that somehow that will leak out of me and people say, Jesus! And, and man, they'll just want to get saved and, and come to a saving knowledge and just assume that that's where that comes from. But that is not, that's not enough. There comes a time where God wants us to share. Now, uh, I remember one evangelism speaker saying, I never forgot, said, well, which model is the best in sharing your faith? And he said, well, quite frankly, he said, the model that I use is better than the model you don't use. <laughs> and so when it comes to sharing faith, it's not that there's a right or wrong way. It's just obedience in doing so. Just quickly, uh, in the Scriptures, six examples of ways to share the faith. There's the confrontational method in Acts 2, where it's repent and be baptized, where the message is shared clearly, boldly. Uh, there's intellectual. Remember Paul at Mars Hill? Is he shared about the unknown God? To, to grasp the mind to come to Christ. There's testimonial, John 9, the blind guy, who he said, one thing I know, you know, I, I couldn't see, now I can see, as he shared what Jesus did in his life. Then there's the relational in Mark 5. Remember the guy that was demon-possessed, and, and Jesus sent the demons into the pigs, and, and they were drowned, and he said, go, go into town and tell them what has happened. And so a testimony was shared. Um, and then there's uh, the invitational um, the, the woman at the well, Samaritan woman at the well, and after uh, Jesus spoke to her heart and she was changed and it said that she went out and she told people, come and see a man who knew everything about me. Come and see. Come and see. Um, um, and then serving in Acts 9 speaks about a dear saint named Dorcas who had said that she did good for those in the community, acts of good and kindness, helping the poor. Uh, and it talks about some stuff that she had sowed, that she had given out. Um, this woman, she was sharing the gospel, taking opportunity as she met needs of people, she would address them about the need of Jesus. So there's different ways to do that, to, to share and to touch lives. It's not the specific method, but regardless of all of that, that's not the focus of what I really want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about what I believe is the essential element, regardless of the method that you may use, the strategy that you may adopt in sharing your faith. The essential element, I believe, is compassion. And 
Turn me to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, real briefly, I want to share with you that this has been on my mind as I prepared for this message. Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 8. As the Apostle Paul addresses God's faithful at Ephesus. Here's his words. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You know what I noticed there, guys? is He, he, he doesn't say here, For you were once in darkness. He doesn't say that. He says, you once were darkness. There's a big difference. He's, he's saying, it's, it's not that at one time you lived in darkness and that your deeds showed darkness. It was the fact, guys, that you literally were darkness. He wasn't talking about what they did. He was talking about who they were. He said, at one time, you were darkness. And here's the problem we often have in the church. As we, as we look out at people, we see them as somebody that needs to be rehabilitated. We, we see them as somebody who, man, they need to get their act together. and They need to change what they're doing. They need to change their conduct. But it's deeper than that. It's more than the conduct. It's a matter of the character. It's a matter of the heart. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So it's not rehabilitation. It's redemption. You see, it's the, it's the good news, not becoming old news, but fresh news to touch the heart and change the heart and, and make people new. That, that's the key. That's the message. And, and as you go down through here, uh, I just want to briefly come through here. He says, but now, notice again, it's not what they do, it's who they are. You are light in the Lord. What's the command? Live as children of light. Let that light that's in you shine through you for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Man, let that goodness, righteousness, and truth flow out of your life. Find out what pleases the Lord. It's a close walk with the Lord. It's not having it all together. It's walking beside Him, to hearing His voice, uh, moving in regard to His leading. And, and then he goes on, he says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, for it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. He says, But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is the light that makes everything visible. It says, As you walk in the light, the darkness sees the light. Is attracted to the light. So his message is not to the darkness, it's to the ones who are in the light. And look what he says, Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so his message to the church is, wake up! These people don't need to be rehabilitated. They need to be redeemed. These people are darkness. They need light. You are to be that light. Wake up, church! Let Christ shine on you. And he goes on, guys. He, he says, be careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Your life needs to be lived wisely. You need to make the most of every opportunity. Don't squander them, as Lord so beautifully shared. But because the days are evil, do not un therefore do not be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Guys, seek His will. Understand His will. Live His will. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. It's not about this world. It's not about trying to find your satisfaction in those places. It's in God. He says instead, be filled with the Spirit. And he talks about your life pouring out of it. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Uh, that you have that melody of, of thanksgiving, of praise. 
everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to sit one, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Be the light. That's what he's, guys, that's what he's sharing here. And the example of that, the prime example that we follow is the example of Jesus Christ. And that's our text this morning. That's what I want us to look at. You go back to Matthew chapter 9 and you see Jesus is connected to people. And He's connecting to hurting people. Um, as you begin in chapter 9, it, uh, He heals a paralytic. He says, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. This one was healed. He, Jesus said, Get up, take your mat, and go home. He felt that healing touch. Then you read on a little further, and, and you read about a girl whose dad was a ruler. and Her dad came before Jesus and he said, My daughter's just died, but you can, you can bring her to life. But he didn't go at that moment. And there was another woman who had bled for 12 years who had been so sick and, and she was healed by touching the hem of his garment. And, and, and Jesus, Jesus, his healing power went out. And then Jesus went back to that little girl and he said, she's just asleep and he touched her and, and she was healed. And in that power, Jesus, the light. <laughs> then it goes on, it talks about him coming and, and healing those who were blind and those who were unable to talk and, and they followed Jesus and demons uh, that were cast out of, of people and, and that healing touch that... <laughs> that was given to individuals, this one and, and that one, and he healed till he was exhausted, physically spent because of the need. But there, there's a change in scene as we get to this text in 35. He goes from looking at this one individually and this one to literally seeing the crowd and, and being overwhelmed as he looked out around him at the crowd. Um, look at verse 35. He says, Jesus went all through the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. No wonder he was tired. <laughs> Yet when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. His heart became heavy. He... He was moved by their condition. And I want you to notice how that condition is described. He, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now this word harassed uh, in the original language has a picture of, of someone who is being beaten with a whip. I mean they're in pain, they're horrified, they're scared... They don't know what to do because they're broken. And there's the picture here that Jesus is sharing. As He looks out, He says, there are people, they're broken and they're hurting and they don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do. They're harassed. And they're in this state of, of just feeling helpless like sheep without a shepherd. As we know, sheep need a shepherd. They can't take care of themselves. And, and, and there's that picture. And you say, well, who are the ones who are harassed and helpless? They live all around us. They live all around us. They're everywhere. That's what Jesus saw. 
It was this look on faces of a blank stare of a pain that could not be dealt with and, and a need. And, and, and he looked and that's what he saw. And, and I want you to notice here uh, in the text, you know what, he throws a curveball here. The first thing I think is, man, he's, he, you know, as he looks out there and he turns to his disciples, the, you know, what's obvious to think is he says, all right, guys, let's go out there and get them. Let's go out there and, and share the love of God with them. Let's give them hope. Let's do our mission work. It's time to do missions. It's time to get on the mission journey. That's not what he does. Look what happens. He throws a little curveball here. He said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Man, there is a need to go out there, guys. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The need is great, but before he says attack the need, he says get on your knees and pray. Cry out to God. Cry out to God to, to do the work, to send out people, to lay it on their hearts, to give them compassion. Not just to go, but to get compassion, that, that heart that Jesus had. And, and that was the prayer. Give God's people compassion. Um, that... that that was a heart. Um, as he goes on here, it's kind of interesting. You get down into the next chapter. It's like a roll call. He just gives the names and then he sends them out. Why does he give these names? Seems like a strange place for a roll call. I think he was just trying to make a simple point. These were just common people. These weren't the superstar celebrities of Christendom. <laughs> they were people like you and like me. This call is not for the incredibly gifted it's not for those who have all this training it's for every child of God for all of us it's, it's a call that's for all of us it's a call that he gives to us and, and it's his burden and, and I want to look at four things here briefly uh, as I close out um, when a compassion is present the kind of compassion Jesus calls us to the gospel first we must see clearly to be effective. Jesus saw the multitudes. And, and you know what happens? It happens to me too. I'm, I can't throw rocks at you because they boomerang, come back and hit me in the head. Yeah. I get busy doing my thing. I run here, I run there. I have my little agenda, I have my world. And I don't see people. I just don't see people. I'll never forget, I know I've told you this story, but um, I like to go to the Y and exercise, and there was this one guy in there, and I just didn't like him. The way he would talk and the things he'd do, and I would sit there in my mind, and I would say all kinds of evil against him. I was laying the judgment on thick inside my head. Until one day when I was in there exercising, and I heard this guy tell another guy, Things really changed when my son unexpectedly died. I never saw him the same way again. Why? Because I saw him. I saw something I had missed before. And that's the first thing. When the kind of compassion happens, we begin to see the people and not just see them. Yeah. Alright, second one here. We must feel deeply. He saw the people and then they were harassed and they were helpless. And he, he felt deeply. Man, he was moved emotionally. He was moved to... 
I want to read to you, this is from Dennis Waitley's book, Seeds of Greatness. Uh, and it's a scene of seeing people where they are. The lady had taken her five-year-old shopping at a large department store during the Christmas season. She knew it would be fun for him to see all the decorations and toys as she dragged him by the hand twice as fast as his little legs would move. He began to fuss and cry, clinging to his mother's coat. Good heavens, what on earth is the matter with you? She scolded impatiently. I brought you with me to get in the Christmas spirit. Santa doesn't bring toys to little crybabies. His fussing continued as she tried to find some bargains during the last minute rush on December 23rd. I'm not going to take you shopping with me ever again if you don't stop that whimpering. Oh, well, maybe it's because your shoes are untied and you're tripping over your own laces, she said, kneeling down in the aisle to tie his shoes. As she knelt down beside him, she happened to look around. For the first time, she viewed the department store through the eyes of her five-year-old child. <laughs> From that position, there were no bubbles, no beads, presents, no decorated display tables or animated toys. All that could be seen was a maze of corridors too high to see above, full of giant stovepipe legs and huge posteriors. These mountainous strangers with feet as big as skateboards were pushing and shoving and bumping and thumping and rushing and crushing. Rather than fun, the scene looked absolutely terrifying. She elected to take her child home and vowed to herself never to impose her version of a good time on him again. And then she goes on. <laughs> on the way out of the store... Mother noticed Santa Claus seated in a pavilion decorated like the North Pole. She knew that letting her little boy meet Santa Claus in person would go a long way, and her little boy remembering the shopping disaster as a pleasant rather than unpleasant experience. Honey, go stand in line with the other children and then sit up on Santa's lap, she continued. Tell him what you want for Christmas and smile. Smile while you're talking so we can take your picture for the family album even though a Santa Claus was standing outside the store entrance ringing a bell. And although they had seen another Santa at the previous shopping center, the five-year-old was pushed forward to enjoy a personal chat with the real Santa. When the strange-looking man with beard, glasses, and red suit stuffed with pillows hoisted a little boy into his lap, he laughed loudly and tickled the boy in his ribs. What would you like for Christmas, son? Santa boomed jovially. I'd like to get down, was the little boy's response. And then uh, Waitley adds his Sioux Indian prayer. O oh, great spirit, grant me the wisdom to walk in another's moccasins before I criticize or pass judgment. Sometimes we don't see clearly, do we? We don't see from their perspective. We've missed their pain, so we don't understand them. We see them as the bad guy, as the, as the person causing trouble, and we don't see the fact that they are hurting. They don't want to be in this position they're in. They're not happy about it. They want something else. And they're looking. Maybe the best thing we can do at times is try to empathize <laughs> Put ourselves in those moccasins. Maybe it's to say to the one who has a trouble with drugs, what would it be like to get up in the morning and have this craving 
for something I knew was destroying me? What would it be like to have that constant battle of having to say no to something? It would just consume me. What would it be like if my spouse walked out the door and, and, and left me? What would it be like if, if, if my family members just are so mad at me they abandoned me? What would it be like to get where they are, to, to try to, to think about why they're acting this way, what could be the cause, what are they feeling, what are they experiencing, what is their world like, what, what is this suffering? Feel deeply. Third, to pray specifically. Um, this is a point where I, I guess I want to challenge each of us Talked about seeing people clearly. Talked about feeling deeply. What about praying specifically? I encourage you now, if you have something to write on, write down the names of three people you know who are without Christ. Three people. I think everybody here knows three people. And I encourage you... Uh, for the next two weeks, every day, pray for those people. Ask God to give you a heart for them. Ask God to open their hearts, but also to open your heart for compassion. See what God does. I'm not going to ask you to to go to that person. I believe as you pray, He'll lead you with compassion. What that means. It may mean to encourage them to come somewhere to hear the gospel. It may mean for you to share the gospel. It just may mean to have them over to eat. It just may mean to invest in them. I don't know. But pray for those people specifically. And, thir- and, and then a fourth, to go willingly. He, in uh, 10 verse 5, He did send out the twelve with instructions. Uh, we live in an age of technology where it seems like, man, we just don't know how to look each other in the eye and even talk anymore. We chat online, we do Facebook, we have cell phones, we text. But, you know, I've told this story, but I remember it was a couple of years ago, um, the power went out in our neighborhood, and we did a strange thing. About eight of us went out and sat down in one of the driveways and talked for about an hour and a half. We didn't have any electricity, so we didn't have any computers and televisions and other electronics. So we talked. Hey, listen, even though in one way the world is closer than it's ever been, it's also further apart than it's ever been. People are starved for real relationships. They are starved for people. And you and I are people. To go, to follow a call, uh, I close with an example from back in 1949 at the Billy Graham Crusade in Los Angeles. There was a guy named Jim Voss who was in organized crime and was a powerful man in the underworld. He would drive back and forth by the crusade and they said, man, what is going on there? 
And he began to hear about all this attention given to the Crusades. So he decided he was going to go one night. He went. Loved it. God spoke to his heart. Talked to his wife the next night. Said, you want to go to the Billy Graham crusade again? She said, sure. So they went. Came time to that invitation. And this little squirrely guy comes out next to Jim. And all of a sudden, he feels somebody grab his hand. He looks, and it's that little squirrely guy. And he thought, what is he doing? This huge man. He's like, you old man, what is he doing? And he said, my first thought was, I'm going to take his hand and I'm going to knock him all the way through that exit over there. He said, but you know what? It is hard to hit somebody who when you look at him is praying for you. <laughs> it might be a good plan, guys. You ever get in a fight? God help me. You know? But anyway, that's kind of what happened. And he, he, uh, <clears throat> the guy said, don't you want to be saved? Don't you want the peace of Jesus? And a strange thing happened. Jim's hand melted. His fist unfroze. And the guy stepped back and Jim Ball stepped out. And he headed down that aisle. He gave his heart to Christ. And he left that world. And uh, has written a book sharing how Jesus changed his life. Some little squirrely guy. What's he doing? Sounds nuts to me. I'll tell you what he was doing. He was tuned in to Jesus. And he was listening to Jesus. And that's what he did. Maybe someone here is on somebody's prayer list. And this is the time that he wants you to find him. To respond to him. Uh, we have a time we call response. We call invitation. And just to say yes to Jesus. He is the one that changes lives, not any of us. We just celebrate with you when He does change you. Because <laughs> He changed us. And that's what it's about. It's about this good news that infects and changes and, and, and gives hope. And, 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 and guys, that's what it is about. And it's also about this compassion that moves us to where we can't just keep doing nothing we begin to really see and it moves us and we move out and that's the challenge that's the call that's the need and so maybe God's laid on your heart maybe you need to come and, and you need to pray remember he said pray before you go out maybe he's calling you to pray for that kind of heart I don't know what he's up to I just want him to have freedom to do what he chooses I'm going to be at the front we're going to sing God spoke in your heart when you come. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a chance to talk about compassion. Um, people need Jesus, Lord. The Bible says you were once darkness. I was. I was darkness. I was lost. I was without forgiveness before a holy God. But you change that. You showed me Jesus. And it's different. Maybe one here now, Lord, uh, needs that, wants that. Speak, oh God. Lord, I pray anyone here with that, just say yes to Jesus' call.
to enter the heart and to forgive. Um, Lord, for others of us here, maybe you're calling us to see clear and to feel deeply and to move. And uh, I pray, Father, for that. Um, do what you want in us, Lord. <laughs> we want you to be the one in charge in this place. So have your way, Lord. In your name we ask this. Amen. Please stand.